Tuesday marks election day in our country. My hunch is we get a little more serious about it than probably we need to be. And so I'm reminded every time election year comes around of one, for me, one of the better moments, which was in 1992. It was in the midst of the vice presidential debate. You had the Republican and Democratic vice president candidates uh, waxing eloquently about the issues of the day and not letting Ross Perot's running mate get in at all. And so you'll remember when finally he had the opportunity, they turned to Admiral Stockdale and his response in the middle of this high-pressure debate was simply this. Who am I? What am I doing here? I think those are two pretty good questions. And those are the questions that we have been struggling with now for eight weeks. Who are we? And the answer is we are the beloved children of God, called to be with and be like Christ. And what are we doing here? We are to take the light of Christ out into the world. Now, the question then becomes, where do you take it? As they say in real estate, the three most important things are location, location, location. Where are we supposed to locate the light of Christ? What I want to do briefly this morning is let Jesus himself answer that question. This is the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus says, beginning in verse 13, He asked his disciples as they came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, who do people say the Son of Man is? Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, they replied, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Where does Jesus want his church? Where does he want the light that Nona talked about to go to? Well, I think the answer comes in a field trip that Jesus took his disciples on. 32-mile trip from uh, the area around the Galilee, Capernaum, where they often resided, to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, you need to know this about Caesarea Philippi. No good Jewish boy would ever venture into that town. It was a center of paganism. It was a center of the worship of the god Pan. And if you remember your mythology, the god Pan was half-man, and half goats. And um, incredible orgies were held to worship this half man, half goat. And no Jewish boy would get close to that town. And I assure you, no Jewish mother wants her boy getting close to that town. But Jesus takes his boys and takes them to this town. And as they get close to the town, he engages them in conversation. And he says, well, who do people say that I am? And they gave answers. And then he says, well, what do you say? And Peter got it right. He said, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's right, Jesus, said Peter, when they hit their destination. And he said, and Peter, you're the rock. You're Peter. But on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This has been a controversial passage for centuries. For uh, centuries, the Catholic Church continues to teach that the rock is Peter himself. And so since Peter's the first pope of Rome, this uh, legitimatizes uh, the pope and his primacy. The Protestant Reformation comes along 16 centuries later and they teach that no, 
The rock is Peter's confession of faith in Jesus. And wherever Jesus is confessed as Lord, that's where we get the rock of the church. And others have said, well, it's the revelation of knowing who Jesus is. That's the rock. Well, as you may know, Ray Vanderland, who will be with us in two weeks, has actually taught us that, at, that the rock is a particular geographical place in Caesarea Philippi. It's on the right-hand side of the, of the screen. The rock served as a giant stage. And on this giant stage, men and goats would cavort and consort together in all sorts of pagan, ungodly ways in front of people while the people in drunken debauchery celebrated this terrible pagan activity. No religious person would want to be found within miles of that place. And yet Jesus takes his first disciples there, points at that rock and says, that's where I want my church. Wherever the darkness seems to be greatest, wherever it seems least likely that a church should show up, that's where I want my church. And then he goes on and points to an opening next to it. You see on the left-hand side, an opening because gases would escape from underground uh, uh, through uh, this large opening. Uh, they called it the Gates of Hades. And the rumor was that souls passed back and forth from the underworld to this world through uh, this hole in the ground, which, according to Josephus, went down several hundred feet. And so Jesus continues the object lesson and says, And furthermore, I'll tell you that the gates of Hades itself will not stand against this church. 32-mile field trip for Jesus simply to say, Where I want my church located is I want my light where it is darkest. I would like to tell you a couple things about that this morning. The good news is this. You don't have to go far to find places of darkness. You don't have to go far to find places where the church normally doesn't show up and things are not going in ways that really honor people and bless their lives. C.S. Lewis made the remarkable observation 60 years ago that we live in enemy-occupied territory. There's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of this earth that is really owned by forces that are opposed to God and God's love and God's rule of mercy. There are a lot of places that are darkened. And that's where the church is supposed to go. So the good news is you're not going to have to go far to find it. The better news is when you get there, Jesus promises victory. That the darkness will not overcome the light. He says this, when you get there, you will rattle Satan's cage. You will rattle the gates of hell. They won't be able to stand against you. You know, for years when I grew up and heard that passage, the way I interpreted it in my mind was, okay, Satan can't overrun me. If I hide here in the sanctuary and I hold on, he's not going to get to me. But that's not what the passage means. The passage means that the forces opposed to God have nowhere to hide and nowhere to run. They are not safe from us. It is not a theology of defense. It is a theology of attack that says we take the light into the darkness whether the darkness wants to receive it or not. We move out. We are on the offensive. And the forces of darkness won't stand when we get there. Now, I, I know y'all are probably smarter than I have, am, and you, you researched this, but it took me until the Pearl Harbor movie and the documentary surrounding it to figure out that the most important thing that happened at Pearl Harbor was the thing that didn't happen. And that is for all of the destruction by the attacking enemy planes, 
The one thing they never hit were the United States aircraft carriers who weren't in Pearl Harbor at the time. And because the carriers were free and sound, they were able then to take the battle back with planes and soldiers, material and personnel, back at the enemy. When you think of a church, think of an aircraft carrier. We are taking personnel and material into battle, into places of darkness. And we've been doing that the last few years of this church. I mean, we've been going close and we've been going far. It starts as close as the back door of our church. Where now, as you may know, we've opened a Hope Center to a couple days a week to help people in need. And they're finding out about us. And people in need, people living in, in different uh, degrees of darkness are coming to us. And then we leave from there. And we have begun to go to places as close by as Austin Highway. In the Backyard Ministry Project at the Bentwood Apartments. There are youth and there are children who are at risk and they're in degrees of darkness and we're taking the light there. And then others of us are taking it like this afternoon after church downtown under the bridge where there's a community of people without houses. They live under the bridge. They live in varying states of darkness and we take the light. Others go across town to De Zavala Elementary to mentor and assist other children who are at risk. And still others are leaving town now and taking the light further. This weekend, next weekend, there'll be a group of people, men, going to Piedras Negras, to the orphanage where we have begun taking light on a regular basis. Others have gone uh, two trips recently to Oklahoma City, to areas of need, and they have been a part of building and rebuilding in an area where there's not much light. And this summer, we sent a group to New Orleans, a place covered not just in water, but in much darkness because of the tragedy there. Friday night, I got back from uh, spending two days in New Orleans in a discussion with large Methodist churches about how they could be part of the rebuilding and part of the mission work that, that is there in New Orleans. And then we've had groups, as you may know, three different groups have gone as far as Africa this year. To take the light and the love of Christ. We're getting out. We're getting out. And we're taking the church to the various rocks. And the rocks exist wherever there's poverty, wherever there's loneliness, wherever there's isolation, wherever there is, is sin. Those places, wherever there are people who are lost and don't know the love of Christ. Those are degrees of darkness. And we take the light there. Now this morning at the close of the service... I'm going to invite you to make your way out the east doors or the west doors into the Christian Life Center. That's why we're all worshiping in this building, in this room this morning. And I want you to see the opportunities where you can be a part of this church taking light into the world. But as you get ready to do that, I want to give you four cautions. And I think it's real important that you know these things up front. The first caution I would give you is this. When you take the light of Christ to an area, do not go infrequently. Find a place where you can regularly be in ministry and in service. And the Christian Life Center will help you think about that. Uh, find a place where you can be regular in your service because you will be blessed and more by the serving even than those will be blessed who receive the service. As we talked about last week, no one wants to be fixed by you anyway, but they are more than willing to open their life and share their life with you. 
and you'll be blessed. Second thing I would say to you is this, is even though we've said the last couple Sundays that often you can start closest to home, even in your own house, taking the light of Christ, don't stay there. Take it outside the bubble in which you live. Take it outside wherever your comfort zone is. Move outside. Because that's where you will meet people who will change and bless your life. When I first started uh, at this church, I started volunteering at the Christian Assistance Ministry downtown. And then after a few years, moved to the uh, Agape Ministry on Austin Highway and Lanark. And one of the reasons I went was not because I was particularly helpful, but because I knew I would run into people who were not like me. People who did not run in the circles that I ran in. And it proved to be a wonderful blessing to me. So don't go where you normally go. Don't go infrequently. Don't go alone. The beauty of Christian mission and service is community that gets built. Go with others. Serve together. Love together. Receive together. Life's too important and too difficult to do on your own. Don't try it alone. And then finally, the last caution is don't expect it to be easy. Don't expect it to be easy. If you are called with the light of Christ to a place of darkness, don't expect the enemy who occupies this territory to simply lay down his weapons and walk off and give you the territory. Expect opposition. Expect it to start in your own house. Well, I don't know that you really have time to go there and serve. I mean, we have other things here we're trying to get done. Expect it uh, in your own house. Expect them to say, well, I'm not really sure it's safe for you to take the light there. Couldn't somebody else just go? Why don't you go another place? Expect it from your own church. Why in the world should the church be in that place? Those people are in trouble because it's their own fault. Expect whatever you do that there will be opposition. But expect that if you take the light of Christ, you will end up victorious. Because the gates of Hades cannot stand against the light of Christ. Satan's going to try to keep you from getting there because if he knows if, he, if you get there, you win. Christ wins. But if he can keep you from ever getting there, well, that's a different story. Or if he can keep you from getting there in time. Thursday afternoon, I was with a group of pastors in Lower Ninth Ward in New Orleans. And we saw pictures that are familiar to all of you by now. The one that perhaps stands strongest to my mind is the picture they would put on doors when they would search for uh, survivors or victims, actually, in, in homes in the Lower Ninth Ward. And, you know, they would put an X, and you would have the date that they had searched the home. You would have initial for the team that searched. And in the very bottom of the X, in the bottom space, would be how many bodies were found in that home. And unfortunately, where we toured, there were an awful lot of zeros. Nobody's found. But occasionally, as we drove past, we found the one or the two. And two things occurred to me. One was, I was sure grateful for the courage of the people who came in a week or two, whenever they could get there, to start to search for the victims. They ran into great difficulties and dangers, I am sure. But the second thing occurred to me, how much better if we could have gotten there before the flood. How much better if we could have gotten people out before it got over their head. When you think about the church, the goal is while the floods are beginning to rise in people's lives, to get there and to help. 
while there's still time rather than to come in later and search for the victim.